happy Super Bowl to you this weekend. That's a great weekend. If you're, and let me, if, let me, if you're a New England fan, give me a dilly dilly. Give me a dilly dilly. Come on. If you're an Eagles fan, give me a dilly dilly. I can't stand either one of them. I'll be honest with you. I'm praying that there's a big snowstorm and the roof collapse and they can't even play the game. That would be, a man can dream, Candy. But it's good to have you guys here this weekend. This is the fifth week of our series we're calling Battle Tested. It's a series on spiritual warfare, the ultimate battle, good versus evil, how we as Christians can actually be victorious in this battle. By the way, let me just give you a heads up. Next weekend, we will be wrapping up this series. I hope that you'll make every effort to be here. I mean, if you normally uh, attend on a Sunday and, and you can't get to your campus next Sunday because of a conflict, I'm hoping you'll come out to the 4.15 or 6 o'clock at Raleigh on Saturday night. If you typically attend Saturday night but you have a conflict, get to one of our Sunday campuses. I'm even gonna give you special permission. If you signed up for Discovery and you have to choose next week in between Discovery and the weekend worship service, Sign up for the next discovery and get to the service because I think it's one of the most important weekends in the history of Hope Community Church. And I'm excited about it because I feel like the guy who's been giving you bad news every week. Here's the bad news. Now, finally, I get to give you the good news because the final two messages of this series, it's the solution part of the series. It's the application part of the series. For example, this weekend, we're going to talk about how we can experience emotional healing in our lives. And the next week, we're going to talk about what deliverance actually looks like. How do we actually shut that door? How do we make sure that Satan's influence is out of our lives? What are the steps that we need to go through? And when I think about this, I'm always reminded um, early on in our lives, when we moved to Southern California, I repoed cars on the side. It's great to be a youth pastor and repo cars, but I repoed cars on the side to supplement our income. And in California, there was a law. If you went to someone's house to repo their car, you had to knock on the door and see if they were home. And you had to explain to them that you were repoing their car and what they needed to do to get the car back. And the whole reason was they wouldn't shoot you thinking that you were stealing their car. Well, I'm thinking, what if they shoot me because I'm repoing their car? But it didn't really matter. So I go to the door and I knock. And this lady comes to the door. And, and she's, she looks pretty tough, but, you know, nothing I can't handle. And, and uh, so I'm explaining to her why I'm there. Of course, she knew it was coming. And, and I'm explaining to her the part about how she can get her car back and what it would take. And she got so mad at me. Now, this, I, I'd learned this early on in repoing and going to people's front door. You get your foot in the door jam. Because immediately when they realize why you're there, most people want to shut the door. So you get your foot in the door jam. Well, well, she got so mad at me. She hauled off and she came and she pushed that door as hard as she could in my face. And it hit my foot. And I thought it would break every bone in my foot. And I kind of stumbled back out of the door jam. And when the door bounced back open, it made her so mad. She came out like a raging bull. And I'm stepping back with a sore foot. And she hits me right as I'm stepping back. And I ended up in her flower planter right off the front porch. Now, this is why I said, next week, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get Satan's foot out of our lives. We're going to knock him off the front porch of our lives. And we're going to shut that door so he can't get back in. Now, that's next weekend. But this weekend, I want to talk to you. And this is so important to me, how God can heal our emotions. If you brought a Bible this weekend, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, we'll put the verses up on the screen. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, it says, So he, a reference to Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. By the way, I always wonder how long it took Jesus to find the book of Isaiah. But anyway, he probably found it pretty quickly, right? He found where it was written, and he's reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And the reason that their eyes were fixed on him because this was a Jewish synagogue and these were Jews and they knew that Isaiah 61 was a prophecy about the soon to come Messiah. And so they're wondering what Jesus is up to. What's he going to say? So it says in verse 21, he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This was Jesus' way of saying, I'm that guy. I'm that guy, I'm the Messiah. But in this passage, you can see the five foundational ministries of Jesus. You can see why Jesus came to this earth. First of all, to bring salvation. Verse 18 says, to preach the gospel to the poor. Verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, Jesus is saying, now is the time that you can accept the Lord and he is going to accept you. Now is the time you're going to get to have a personal relationship with God and it's because since I am here, I'm going to take care of your sin problem once and for all. So he came to bring salvation. Second, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he's kind of given a heads up, he's kind of given a preview that every Christian will receive the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, but now we receive the Holy Spirit. The moment that we make the decision to accept God's plan of salvation, at that moment immediately the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. Third, for healing. Look at verse 18. Recovery of sight to the blind. And if you read the Gospels, you read over and over about the healing ministry of Jesus. Fourth, deliverance. He says in verse 18, to proclaim liberty to the captives. In other words, if you're a captive, if you're in bondage, I've come to set you free. But this is where I wanna focus our time this weekend. Fifth, he came to bring emotional healing. Verse 18 says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Verse 18, he sent me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now I grew up with the King James Version and we don't really use that anymore. It's something about the these and the thous and all the language we don't understand. But this is one of the times where the King James did a much better job of translating this because the King James says, verse 18, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's literally what the word means, bruised. Here it's translated oppressed, but it means bruised. So understand, Jesus came to put our broken hearts back together, and Jesus came to free us from our oppression, or as the King James would say, to heal our emotional bruises. I wanna spend just a second talking about the fact that Jesus came to heal our broken hearts. In the Greek, the term for brokenhearted, it comes from two words. You can probably figure out what those two words are, broken and heart. And the word broken is actually centribo. It means to break in pieces, to shatter. And I told you the story about the time Laura and I went to the mall and she had to get a gift, so she sent me to the Hallmark store to get a card. And while I was in line after I picked out the card, there was a big display of cards on a round table and they were the music cards, and I was opening them up, and my ADD, they were playing music, and they were entertaining me, and keeping me out of trouble, I thought. But I thought the table rotated, because it was round. But what I found out later was just a big, heavy piece of round plywood with a cloth over it, sitting on a wooden pedestal. And as every time I rotated, it got a little bit more off-center. 
and eventually it was out of balance and out of kilter. And when it happened, that thing flipped. And behind these cars were all of these glass cabinets, these glass shelvings full of figurines. And I'm telling you, when that plywood hit it, that glass exploded. And it was that kind of glass, it's that safety glass that breaks up into those little pebbles and balls. I'm telling you, there was glass going all the way out into the mall, out of the Hallmark store. And it exploded and every woman, because I'm the only man in the Hallmark store, every, every woman is staring at me. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, there are music cards laying all over the floor that are open, and they're playing songs, and it's crazy stuff going on. So I reached in my wallet, and I got my American Express. This is why you don't leave home without it. I said, will this cover it? She said, sir, put your card away, take the birthday card, and leave. Just leave. We'll take care of it. Just leave. As I'm putting my wallet away, all I could think of, I am so glad Laura was not here to see this. And as I look up in the door, what did you do, right? My point is, it was unrecoverable. I mean, it was unfixable. It was shattered, right? That's the word centribo, the Greek word for broken. The Greek word for heart is cardia. It's cardia with a K. Obviously, we get our word cardiac from it. So Jesus is talking about a heart that's been shattered. It's this idea, your heart has been broken in pieces. Now, the bad news is the reality is all of us have had our heart broken in some way. The good news is that one of the reasons Jesus came was to heal our shattered hearts, to put them back together again, which means this. Now, think about this. As Christians, we don't have to live our lives with broken hearts. Now, why is that so important? Well, I said most of us, I think we've all had our heart broken. Maybe it was over, maybe it was over a relationship Maybe you got married and you were in it for better or for worse, right? But one day your spouse let you know in no uncertain terms that there was no longer any room for you in their life. And they walked away from you. Or maybe you had a child turn their back on you. And when something like that happens, our heart's broken. And I guarantee you one of the number one emotions we feel, we, we express and, and, and sense is rejection. And I think that every one of us are susceptible to rejection as human beings. And a big part of the reason is that theologically we were actually born rejected by God. And it's because you gotta understand when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, sin entered into the bloodstream of the human race for the first time. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter five, verse 12. He says this, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, reference to Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. And we know that it talks indirectly about physical death, and we talked about that last week. Mankind would have never died if they hadn't sinned, but it also talks about spiritual death. In other, every one of us, every one of us are born spiritually dead. Every one of us are born with a sin nature. See, that's why when you put your kids at bed tonight when they're sweet and innocent, you don't have to read the Dr. Seuss book about how to lie to mommy and daddy or how to disobey mommy and daddy. They already know it because they have a sin nature. And the problem is God, being holy, cannot have a relationship with sin. And so the only way we get to have a relationship with God is we get to accept his free gift of salvation, the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross on our behalf, shed his blood to pay our debt so we could be reconciled back into a relationship with God. And that's necessary because we're all born sinners. We're all born rejected. And as a result, it's very easy for us to feel rejected in this life. And sometimes it's probably the result of maybe how we were raised. Sometimes I think it's the result of relationships, especially unhealthy relationships that we find ourselves in. But you know what? We all battle rejection. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that rejection 
can lead to Satan having a foothold in our lives. It can actually lead us Christians to bondage in our lives. So what I want to do quickly, I want to give you seven strongholds that can result from the root of rejection in our lives. And some of these you're just going to write off as personality disorders. But I want you to see that there are emotional strongholds that can develop in our lives that even as Christians can keep you in bondage. And all of these strongholds can be traced back to the root of rejection. Number one, anger. If you struggle with anger and rage in a way that you have a hard time controlling it, this could be more than just a personality issue. This could be more than I just come from a long line of angry people. For example, if you have a hard time keeping a job, if it, anger begins to affect your relationships, if it begins to affect your health, if you're like the Incredible Hulk, you don't want to see me when I'm angry, you may have a stronghold of anger that stems from rejection in your past. You can see an example of this in the life of King Saul. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, by the way, King Saul was the first king of Israel. It says, but Samuel, who was God's prophet, said to Saul, I will not go back with you. Here's the reason. You have rejected the word of the Lord. In other words, you disobeyed God. And the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. So Samuel said, because of your disobedience, God's had it with you as king. And as a result, 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 9, an evil spirit, notice this, from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. My point is simply this. When God rejected Saul, but remember, Saul rejected God first. But when God rejected Saul, Saul opened the door for an evil spirit, and it led to uncontrollable anger, uncontrollable rage, so much so Saul tries to murder David. If you feel like that sometimes, that your anger can get away from you and get out of control, it could be a spiritual stronghold. Number two, insecurity sometimes can stem from rejection. If you're one of those people who constantly needs attention, if you're one of those individuals, when you have a friend and they're pouring out their heart because their life is unraveling, but you have to tell them your story that's worse than their story, you always have to up their story, right? If you're one of those individuals, regardless of how bad it is in the lives of the people around you, somehow you've got to figure out how you can still be the center of attention. You may have a stronghold of insecurity in your life. Three would be pride. And we talked about pride a few weeks ago, but let me ask you some questions. Do you feel like you have to always appear that you have it all together? Do you ever find yourself stretching the truth about your kids so they appear to be perfect kids because that makes you look like a perfect parent? Like your kids are the best student. The soccer coach said they've never seen a kid like your kid. The dentist said they've never seen a kid have a cavity filled like your kid, right? And, 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 you, and you overcompensate. See, I can tell because you have those stickers on your car that says, my kid is potty trained, you know? <laughs> My kid can blow their own nose. You know, my kid crushed the first semester of kindergarten. See, it, it, you're, you're making up all this stuff because there, there's, this in, there's this pride there. You know, do you monopolize your small group conversations? You know, one of the nice things about, see, you talk, you get to see me, but I get to see you when the elbows start flying, right? Are you one of those individuals that every time somebody says something on Facebook or asks a question, you feel like you're, you're so wise and your opinion is so valued, you have to respond to every post on Facebook to give them your opinion about the situation they're going through? You may have an issue of pride in your life. Number four, independence. Do you come across as, I can make it on my own. 
I don't need your help. I don't need your advice. Do you have a hard time developing and maintaining relationships? You won't take anybody's advice? You're going to do what you want to do regardless of what anybody else says, regardless of what anybody thinks. Everybody, every one of us, we have at least one person in our life like that. And there are times when we talk to them, we think, why are we even wasting our breath? They're not going to listen. They're going to do what they want to do, and nine times out of ten, we end up bailing them out, right? But maybe if that's you, you have a stronghold of independence. Five, easily offended. Do you have a tendency to take every comment extremely personally? Does everybody have to walk on eggshells around you? Nobody can joke or kid around with you? You may have a stronghold in this area as a result of rejection in your past. Here's number six, excessive shyness or loneliness. And I'm not talking about a personality here. We've all taken Myers-Briggs. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. I'm talking about something that's excessive. I mean, you just fear people. You can't look them in the eye. You just fear them. This may be an issue. It may be a stronghold. Seven, control and manipulation. See, this often results from a stronghold of rejection. Let me tell you why I say that. It's because you have to control the people around you and their responses so that they won't reject you. But what it really boils down to is this. You're hurt. You've been rejected in the past. And so you want to control people so they don't reject you in the future. And there are different ways this plays out in our lives. For example, people, people who have a stronghold of control and manipulation will sometimes try to control through, manip, uh, through intimidation. But you got to remember, these are hurt people. What do we say? Hurt people hurt people. And sometimes they try to do this through intimidation. They'll also do it through pity. They'll try to get you to feel sorry for them. And that's why if there's something going, if there's chaos in their life and you feel like as a friend or a relative or someone who loves them that you have to confront them, they will tell you every reason while they're behaving the way they're behaving. They'll say, you know, I just haven't been feeling well lately and I, I, I had a, a fight with my spouse and my kid's struggling in school and the plumbing, we've had problems with the plumbing. Did I tell you our dog died? And every reason in the world why they're acting this way. But what they're really trying to do is control and manipulate you because they're saying, I've had enough bad news. Don't give me any more bad news. Crying, ladies, is another way that people control and manipulate. You start confronting them because something needs to be said, they start crying. And what they're really saying is this, you're hurting me. Please stop hurting me. But again, it's not usually about what you're saying. It's about what everybody else has said in their life that's wounded them, but it's never been healed. And I'll tell you how you can know it's manipulation. It's because they can stop crying if they want to. You ever had a kid pitch a fit? And you say, you want a piece of candy? Sure. <laughs> See, this is the person you finally get up the nerve to confront, to have the hard conversation with, and they start crying. And you're like, whoa, 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 man, I, listen, maybe this isn't a good time. And they're like, okay, well, you want to go bowling? And they're, you know, they're just ready to go, right? But all, all of these strongholds can result from a broken heart that stems from rejection. But let's talk about bruises here for a second. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, I came to set at liberty or to set free those who are oppressed or those who are Bruise. This is what's interesting about a bruise. A bruise is bleeding beneath the surface. And often it begins to fade and go away and you think you're healed, but then if somebody bumps it or you hit it, it begins to bleed again because it's never actually been healed. And that just happens in our lives with our emotions. Now let me just say this. If Jesus came to set us free, that means that an emotional bruise can actually hold us in bondage. It's interesting, this word bruise or 
maybe translated in your Bible, oppressed. It actually means crushed, you know. And I asked you earlier, have you ever had your heart broken? Let me ask you this. Have you ever, you ever been crushed? You worked and worked and worked, but somebody at work stole your idea. They presented it. They got the promotion. They got the dream job you always wanted, and you're still in your dead-end job, and it crushed you. Or maybe, maybe somebody in the neighborhood lied about you, started a rumor about you, and it ruined your reputation. It just, it just crushed you. Or maybe, maybe somebody betrayed you. Or somebody you trusted abused you, and it, and it crushed you. Or maybe it was that moment when you found out that your, your spouse was unfaithful, and it, and it just crushed you. See, these are the kinds of things that crushes. And I can tell you, if you've been through a crushing experience, usually you'll think things like, I don't know if I'll ever recover from this. I'm not sure I'll ever get over this. Well, do you know what the potential stronghold is when we're crushed? It's unforgiveness. I don't know if I can ever forgive this person for what they did to me. Jesus was teaching in Matthew 18 one day, and Peter was obviously in the crowd, and Jesus must have said something that reminded Peter of an event that was taking place in his own life. And evidently, because of the question he asked, Peter had been hurt, not just once, but I'm guessing over and over again. And so the minute that Jesus finishes the teaching, it says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Now understand, the Jews followed this handbook called the Talmud, which said you had to forgive three times. And then I guess you got to punch them in the throat. I don't know, but. So Peter's thinking, I'm gonna take the high road. I'm gonna double it and add one, you know, before I punch him in the throat. So how about seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, you just forgive them as often as you need to forgive them, as much as necessary. And I don't have time to read it, but then Jesus tells a story about a man who owed his master about $50 million in today's currency. And he goes to his master and he begs and he begs and he begs to be forgiven of the debt. So the master forgives him. He cancels the debt. By the way, in this story, that represents salvation. God is forgiving us of our sin. He's forgiving us of our debt. He stamps the cross of our life, paid in full. So Jesus is talking to someone who's a Christian. He's a follower. But then this guy, this Christian guy, who's been forgiven of $50 million worth of debt, finds someone that owes him about maybe $50 in today's currency. And he gets mad and he throws this guy in jail. I'll pick up the story, verse 32. Then the master called in the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Now notice this. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus applies it. He turns to the crowd and he says, now this is the moral of the story. Look what he says. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, question, based, based on the story that Jesus just told, what is God going to do to us if we choose not to forgive the people who hurt us? If we choose not to cancel the debt of the individual who crushes us, what's he going to do? According to the story here, he is gonna allow us to be tortured. I mean, Jesus said, my heavenly father will turn you over to the torturers if you don't forgive. I wish we had time, you can read it on your own, but 1 Corinthians chapter five, there's a story of a young man in the church in Corinth who's doing some really bad stuff. He's behaving badly. I'm not even gonna get into it. You can read it on your own. 
But the church really wasn't doing anything about it. This guy didn't feel guilty, and the church wasn't holding him accountable. They were just kind of letting him do his thing. I think they had a mission statement that said, love people where they are. And that's where it ended. By the way, people love our mission statement. The first part, love people where they are. You know where they struggle? When it says encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Because we don't want you to stay where you are. And often when, when someone's like that, you know, you have, to, you have to move into the area of tough love. Maybe people are coloring outside the line. Their behavior does not represent the behavior as a Christian that God has called us to. So you have maybe to correct them or you have to confront them. And often they'll get upset and, I thought, and people say, oh, I thought we were supposed to love them where they are. Well, we are. But we're also to come alongside of them and encourage them to be like Jesus, right? Well, here in the church in Corinth, they were just loving him where he was, but then they weren't doing anything else about it. So Paul says, no, no, that's not the way you handle it. Look, what he said. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan ooh, for the destruction of the flesh. In other words, let it run its course, let him hit rock bottom so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, for many of us, that just does not line up with what we want to think about God. Why would God do that. Well, think about it this way. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> when Israel would reject God, God would often turn them over to the enemy. The Assyrians would come in, the Babylonians would come in, the Chaldeans would come in and take them into captivity. Why would he do that? It was so that they would repent. We're going to talk more about that next week. It was so that they would repent and turn back to God. It was so they would know what it's like to live in bondage. And they would realize that if they didn't want to stay in that bondage, and if they didn't want to die in that bondage, then they needed to get their act together. So understand, and I'm just, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, okay? If you choose not to forgive the person who hurts you, if you choose not to forgive the person who crushed you, if you're a Christian, God is going to allow you to be tortured until you forgive that person. Otherwise, see, you're going to go through your life chained to that event in the past, chained to that person in the past. You are going to live a bitter, miserable life, and God doesn't want you to live a bitter, miserable life. And I am telling you this because you need to understand that you cannot be delivered. You cannot be freed from your past. You cannot be freed from these strongholds in your life until you Repent. By the way, the word simp repent simply means this. And like I said, next week I'll say more about it. It means you got to change your mind. Until you repent of your refusal to forgive, because you've heard this passage before. You've heard the Bible say, you've got to forgive, but you're like, I ain't forgiven. Until you repent of your refusal to forgive and you do it God's way. Let me show you what it says in James chapter 4, verse 7. James says, submit yourselves then to God. Submitting yourself to God means you do life God's way. You follow God's book, his principles. I think of it this way. It's like you're a kid and you're sitting in church. This is before they had like Kid City, right? And you get squirrely, you get restless. And your mom reaches over and she finds that little bit of skin there. And she begins to squeeze. You can't hit her because she's your mom. You can't squeeze, you can't scream because you're in church. So you finally sit up straight. And mom releases the pressure. That's what it means to submit. Give in to God, do life his way. Then it says this, resist the devil. And then he'll flee from you. My point is simply this. You cannot resist the devil until you submit to God. By the way, you remember the guy over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Paul said, hand him over to Satan? Well, that guy repented. 
got his act together. In other words, it worked. The tough love worked. And so Paul writes another letter to the church, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. This is what he says. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now notice this last phrase. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We said that word schemes the very first weeks. The Greek word methodeia, we get our words uh, a method or strategy, but schemes, it's translated here. Now understand, Paul, when he wrote this, is writing to these Christians. And he says, you gotta forgive this guy. Regardless of how much grief he puts you through, you gotta forgive this guy because I don't want Satan to outwit you. It's interesting, the Greek word translated outwit literally means to overreach. It's this idea of being overwhelmed or taken over. So Paul says it's possible for Satan to overreach, to take over, to take advantage of a Christian. So let me, as I wrap this up, let me explain how Satan takes advantage of us and how an emotional wound can become a stronghold of anger or unforgiveness or fear or bitterness. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says this. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of life. You ever been to a costume party, a masquerade party? You wear a mask. Why do you wear a mask? You wear, you wear a mask to disguise your identity. Well, this tells us that in the same way, Satan puts on a mask, and he pretends to be a good angel, but he's not a good angel. Think of it this way. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Jesus said, when I leave, I'll send the Holy Spirit the comforter. Satan is the tormentor, the torturer. And when you are emotionally hurt, this is what he does. He puts on a mask. He masquerades and he comes alongside of you and he pretends to be a comforter. Let me give you an example. Let's say that Laura and I have an argument and she says something that really hurts me and I just storm out. Right? Now I'm gonna be honest with you. We've been married 39 years and that's never happened. Neither one of us have ever stormed out. In 39 years, neither one of us have ever slept in separate beds. We've just never done that. And you know why? We really try to apply the Bible and Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I, like I said before, I don't know if that's literal or not because if you live in Alaska, you could have a long time before the sun goes down so you could hang on to your anger for a while, right? But I think what he's saying is this. You gotta take care of your anger in a timely manner because if you just let it sit there, if you let it fester, Paul said this, you're giving Satan a foothold in your life. But just for hypothetical, let's say that Laura just, ugh, she makes me so mad, I storm out and I hop in my truck. I crank it up. You know what Satan does? He slips right into the passenger seat. And he pretends to comfort me. He'll say, hey, Mike, let me turn the radio down. Laura's being a jerk. After all you've done for her, she gets to live in that house and drive that car. And you take her on nice vacation. Mike, you, you don't just celebrate September the 14th as her birthday. You celebrate birth month. What husband in his right mind does that, right? And Mike, don't forget what she said last week. She said, you need to get back in the gym. You're getting fat. See, she said that to you, right? So here's the thing. Satan starts talking to me like he's comforting me. Like, you poor thing. Laura doesn't understand you. You're misunderstood. You are so mistreated. She doesn't deserve you. She's not good enough for you. Again, this is all hypothetical, right? And then he'll say something like this. Hey, you know what, Mike? This is going to leave a mark. You're never going to get over this. See, now you've seen her true character. Mike, you've heard how she really feels about you. Things can never be the same. So I'm white-knuckling my steering wheel. 
And this is what I'm thankful. I'm going to forgive her because I'm a pastor and I have to. But you know what? I'm never going to forget this. I'm telling you, that's what Satan does. He masquerades as an angel alike. He tells us everything that our fleshly side wants to hear. Now, let me tell you something. If I listen to him and if I agree with him, he will walk right into my life. Do you know why? Because I cracked the door and I let him in. I gave him a foothold. So this is what I'm trying to tell you. Bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, malice, hate, jealousy, pride. All of these things can open the door to Satan get, getting a foothold in our life. And Jesus told us in John chapter 10, you give him, a, you give him an opening, he's going to come in. And when he comes in, you know what he does? He takes off the mask of the comforter and returns to being the tormentor. And he'll torment you. And you'll be bitter. And you'll be miserable. And then you'll come to church and you don't want to be bitter and miserable anymore and you're trying to get out of your bondage. But you know those spirits that have got a stronghold in your life, you know what they're saying? They're saying, we don't have to go. We don't have to go. We have an open door to stay. And you know what? They do. They have an open door to torment you until the wound gets healed. You may be a Christian. You may be discipled. You may be in a small group. But I'm telling you, you will remain in bondage to your past until you experience emotional healing so that you can then be delivered. Now, you may be listening to me right now and there's tremendous hurt and bruising in your life because of something that someone has done to you. Laura and I were meeting with a couple recently and, and it came out pretty quickly what was going on, why they had asked, uh, asked to meet. There had been some unfaithfulness on the husband's part. But he said, so I, he said, yeah, so I'm sorry, I apologize to her. And then he began to meet it. But I got to tell you, all the good stuff's coming out of this. And all the stuff God's teaching me. And all the stuff that, that I'm learning. And, and while this is going on, I'm, I'm looking over at his wife's face. And I can just see the pain. And what I should have said. I should have said, you need to shut up. And you need to get on your knees. And you need to beg her to forgive you. Now, I tell you that because the person who hurt you abused you, used you, abandoned you, betrayed you, rejected you. They may never, ever get on their knees and ask them to forgive you. They may not even be alive anymore. But this is what I want you to hear this weekend. If you will forgive them, if you will cancel the debt, if you will just take the stand, they don't owe me. They don't owe me. Jesus will set you free. Now, I, I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And I'm, I'm going to do something that I don't think I've ever done at any church. But I'm going to do something different this weekend. I'm going to ask God to bring some things to your mind right now. Some things that need to be healed. It may be something uh, traumatic that happened to you as a child. It may be verbal, emotional, physical, sexual abuse. It may be something that happened with your parent or maybe a close friend, maybe even a spouse. It may be, may be something that you did that maybe years later you are still so ashamed of. I mean, let's be honest, sometimes the hardest and the last person we forget, can forgive is ourselves. But what is it that God is, is bringing to you right now that God 
wants to heal. And I know that these memories, they may bring pain. But I'm going to pray in just a second. I, I really believe that the pain's getting ready to go. And this is, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If there's something that God has brought to your mind that you want emotional healing from, maybe someone hurt you, crushed you, broke your heart, and you're still living in the pain of that. In just a second, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you right where you are just to stand up. Everybody else's head's bowed. No one's looking. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Don't be embarrassed. I, you're not going to be alone unless we have a whole lot of people lying to themselves this weekend and then I'm going to lead you in prayer and as I lead you in a prayer I'm going to ask you to pray it out loud after me and we're going to submit these events and memories to God and we're going to ask God to heal us now why is this important that you stand sometimes you just need to drive the stake in the ground because I can tell you what's going to happen you're going to stand, I'm going to pray you're going to feel incredible relief and you're going to walk out of here and Satan's going to put on his mask and come alongside of you and say, you know, if you forgive them, you're letting them off the hook, don't you? You know they're getting away with it, don't you? You know you ought to make them pay, don't you? And you'll be able to look back to this moment and say, you know what? I specifically remember submitting to God and forgiving that. Now get away from me, Satan. So I'm going to ask right now if God has brought something to your mind that you know you need to experience healing from, would you just stand and I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray this and you just, you just pray it out loud after me. Dear God, I submit these memories to you. I ask you to heal me now from all of the pain and stress connected to this memory. I choose now by an act of my will to forgive and forget and to be healed in Jesus' name. Now I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much that you heal our memories. God, right now, I command all stress to go in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. I command every spirit of fear and insecurity and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and control and manipulation that is attached to these memories to go right now in Jesus' name. And God, I thank you that you heal our souls. I thank you that you heal the brokenhearted and that you set free those that have been bruised. I pray that you bind Satan so that he never ever again can use these memories against us. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would everybody else stand? Just find somebody, whether they're standing or not, just hug each other. Let's just hug it out, people. Let's just hug it out.